0: See, see, follow oh, oh. Sing it out. I was
1: sing our testimony. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can say this. Say it
0: with great joy. I was lost in utter darkness till you came and rescued me. I was bound by all my sin when your love came and set me free. Now my soul
1: wonderful that the children are joining us today. They always come in and uh, they want to see their buddies be baptized whenever we have a child being baptized. So welcome, kids. Let's uh, bow for prayer. Lord God, we come before you now and we just want to give you all of our praise, all of our worship, our adoration. Lord, you deserve it. We give it. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the four that are being baptized today, a symbol of how they were once dead to sin, but raised to a new life in Jesus Christ. And we just give you all the praise and all the glory for that. Lord, help us to worship you today in spirit and in truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
2: Well, it is certainly a blessing to greet you from baptismal waters. And we have several candidates, and we rejoice uh, in the Lord God, saving souls, and then obedience to follow our Lord's great commission. Our first candidate is Carly Garrison. And one thing I would say about our children is a special thanks to parents who, uh, who listen to them, talk with them. Uh, we never want to foster decision or regeneration, which doesn't actually exist unless God saves. We want to look for the fruit of repentance in their lives, and I'm so thankful for that among our parents. And so, Carly, upon your profession of faith, trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior... It's my privilege, my sister, to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. For we are buried with Christ through baptism; we are raised to walk in unison of life. So, I forgot to mention: if you're here uh, and you're uh, a kin person that came, kin folk, to see Carly baptized, stand up. All right, look at there. All right. Praise the Lord. Okay. All right. This is Will Austin and very similar to Carly. Uh, The Lord saved him quite a while ago and parents work with him and talk with him and the fruit of repentance is in his life and his life lived for the Lord. Will, upon your profession of faith, coming to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's my privilege to baptize you, my brother. Family stand. Sorry about that. Stand up, family, as a witness. I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. For we are buried with Christ through baptism. We are raised to walk in newness of life. All right. Our next two candidates um, in ascending order, one's older and the one's older. All right, I told them that. And both of them,
1: Whoa. I'm already here.
2: So. <laughs> I, I actually told uh, one of the parents, threatened that their son would do a cannonball. <laughs> it was me. And I said, just don't mess my hair up. Well, Brian just splashed me right here. So. Love you, brother. Yeah. All right, that's a grand entry. Both of these candidates, Brian and Mike, trusted Christ at an early age or were not sure when they looked back on their salvation. So we call this getting your baptism on the right side of your salvation. You are baptized after you trust Christ. And so through prayer, both of them felt like, you know what, I need to be obedient in the area of baptism because I believe I was saved after I thought I was. All right? So Brian is our first candidate, Brian Spencer. Brian, upon your profession of faith... Knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Bear with Christ through baptism, raised to walk in the of life. And then Mr. Mike Combs. You learned, didn't you? We joke about holding somebody under too long. And Mr. Mike said, you need to hold me under a long time preacher. So, but I love these guys and what an awesome testimony for them to be willing to follow in obedience to Christ. So Mike, upon your profession of faith, confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior in obedience to our Lord's commission. It's my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For we are buried with Christ through baptism. We are raised to walk in unison of life.
0: That's my kind of
1: Amen. We do really appreciate the families being here for that. Uh, by the way, our first baptizee, uh, her uh, grandma and grandpa are, are here. They've been longtime church members, and they just celebrated, Ron and Judy Garrison, they just celebrated 60 years of marriage Thursday. God bless you guys. God bless you. <laughs> we would like to remind folks that um, the uh, the FBCO connection card, uh, if you're a first or second time guest with us, uh, or you're a tenth time guest, so you've not filled out one of these before, please fill this out. Let us know who you are so we can uh, have a record of your attendance and answer any questions, minister to you however you uh, would like. You can uh, let us know. Uh, your, your information on that card, and then a new card that we have available is this little business size card. It's just an in, invite card to Resurrection Sunday. Okay, so uh, we're getting trying to get these out to the community. So just grab four or five of those and and give those out uh, to folks you know at your work who maybe aren't regular attenders of a church. We'd love to have them worship with us and. Uh, and uh, help just pray that they would receive the, the word of the Lord as it's preached that Sunday morning, so please be a part of that outreach uh, effort this this year. All right? Well, let's sing together this great song that reminds us of our sovereign king. He is sovereign over us.
0: There is strength within the sorrow There is beauty in our tears And you meet us in the morning With the love that casts our feet You are working in our waiting, you're sanctifying us, when beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. Lands are still to prosper. Promises
1: Read God's Word. Even what the enemy means for evil.
0: Even what the enemy means for evil. turn it for our good you turn it for our good and for your glory
1: you really believe that? Then there's only one response. Romans 12, 1 tells us, we give ourselves fully over to the Lord. Amen. The NIV calls this true and proper worship. The ESV calls it our spiritual worship. Well, if you're my age, you learned it through the King James Version, and I sort of like it best at this point. It says, it's your reasonable service. It just makes sense. Based on what God has done for you, it just makes sense. Amen to give your life to Him. And so with that in mind, let's sing these words. Lord, I God, at this time, we bow before you, and we want to give of our, of our tithes and our offerings. And Lord, one of the ways that uh, we confess and 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 understand ourselves that we have given ourselves fully to you is we have given uh, of our resources to you. And uh, Lord, oftentimes we hear that. Uh, That's the last thing that we give. We'll give our heart, we'll give our service, we'll give time. But money, Mm. well, Lord, we want to be fully devoted to you. And so, Lord, we pray uh, that we would give and give joyfully and freely. Uh, Lord, we thank you for such a giving church and such a generous church. and, And we just ask that we would continue to be so. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: TEMBER yeah. 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 the cost we stood in the debt we could never afford
1: and close our eyes, I I just want to speak to somebody out there who maybe doesn't believe that God's mercy is greater than your sin. And that's a lie from hell. His mercy is so much greater. He can save anyone, anywhere, anytime. So let's just... uh, Maybe you need to pray for yourself. Maybe you need to pray for a neighbor. But let's just pray as we sing that chorus one more time.
0: Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness. New every morning, Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Amen.
2: Well, good morning. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And our scripture reading today will begin in verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4. We are, of course, in a study beginning in verse 20 and 21 of chapter 3... ...where we're introduced to the glory of the Lord Jesus and His church... Paul springboards from that to begin to talk about uh, the theological basis of what we believe. And not only that, but how we are to live out practically what we believe in the head and heart. Right? Uh, this is a community of faith. It's, it's believers that have been brought together uh, by the singular work of Christ on our behalf to redeem us. So it's, it's an incredible text of scripture. I think that churches in general have an erroneous understanding of what church is Um, we call that the doctrine of ecclesiology so ology part ecclesiology meaning study, study of church or what the church is and you don't have to look too far to figure out that not everybody that meets under the guise of being a church is actually a church So. It's important to look into the Word of God and learn what the church is supposed to be. So we are in that study of what the church is. Probably the quintessential text in all the Bible on the doctrine of the church. And so uh, it's a blessing to read the next set of scriptures. Again, last week was putting off, renewing the mind, putting on. And now we're going to actually look at some illustrations of what that means Uh, to put off and put on now for some of you I'm gonna plow real close to the corn today as a matter of fact it's true for me too before the pastor ever preaches the word the word of God must affect him and so it has and I hope that it affects you as well Uh, the actual text goes from verse 25 down through 5 chapter 5 verse 2 again in Greek there are no chapter headings Okay. So the thought really runs from verse 25 down through 5, chapter 5, verse 2. Uh, we're not going to preach all that today. We're going to get most of it. But we're going to pump the brakes when we get to verse 30 and spend one sermon on not grieving the Holy Spirit of God. So, verse 25, you ready? Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry. Be angry. that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Of course, that echoes back to chapter 1, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Have you ever heard the old expression, to live above with the saints we love? Oh, that would be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, that's a different story, Right? <laughs> Well, it is. We, we get that. And relationally, we know that Paul is dealing with folk who have gotten saved out of rough lifestyle in Ephesus. And they've been brought over into the church. And keep that in your mind that we can't expect a baby Christian who's fresh from the womb of salvation to be uh, a mature believer. Okay, But there are also people who claim to be mature that still need to hear these reminders from this particular text. I, I recall moving to my uh, church I pastored in South Carolina, at Big Stevens Creek, and uh, one of the first friends I met and had, uh, we, we actually went fishing together. His name is Butch Harris. And I know this is on live, and people are hearing this all over, and Butch will hear it too, probably. But the fact is, uh, I, I invited Butch to go fishing with me, it was probably in 2001, 2000, 2001. And Butch said, yeah, I'll go with you, preacher. He said, hey, i got a question for you. You don't mind if I bring my Budweiser, do you? I said, no, as long as you don't care if I bring my Diet Coke, we'll be good. You know, Butch today pastors up here in halfway Missouri, right? Pastors of church, and he tells that story all the time, you know? We, you can't, and Butch was a new believer. You can't expect, right? You can't expect that overnight. God begins to convict of areas that need to be more aligned, with his sovereignty with his call upon your life and so that's that's the way this text really is drawn out for us just think about the influx of people upon hearing the gospel that got saved and God brought into the church of Ephesus there's so many uh, of those people that were brought in so let's tie this to the context so the section logically connects with what precedes and what precedes it the putting off and the putting on so the admonitions that are coming up are very, very practical. Are they not? Don't lie. Tell the truth. That's, that's pretty practical. So they're simple exhortations. But there's, don't miss the point that all of the exhortations are grounded in theology. Right? Bad belief leads to bad behavior. It, every time. So Paul is not only going to say, here's the negative. He's going to turn it around and say, here's the positive. Okay? And the positive is going to be theological. Uh, Robert Layton made this statement. Chris McGee went to the Shepherds Conference uh, in uh, California to John MacArthur's church. I'm envious. And at the conference, he picked up a book for me. Pastors like books. Okay, Don't buy me a Joel Osteen book, but I like books. Okay, <laughs> So he brought me a Puritan quote book. And here's what Robert Layton said. The main of a Christian's duty lies in these two things. Patience in suffering and avoidance of sin. So true in the Christian life. So these exhortations give us perspective. It actually not only gives you perspective, it gives you inspiration and a pattern to follow. Why? This is good news for us because we we all deal with at times sinful habits, sinful thoughts, uh, things that we know full well are the old man as given in this text of scripture. But here's the deal, our change is not only possible, according to the word of God, change in the life of a believer is expected. Why? Because you belong to Jesus. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet it's not I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by, the faith, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Folks, the demand for you to live the Christian life is, is a demand upon the Christ that lives in you. So the expectation is, yes, we can do it. That's good news for me. Because sometimes I'm just a rotten, good-for-nothing sinner. You are too, right? Just think about how much we need to be changed. We, we've got this wrong impression that 30 years ago I prayed this prayer, and I'm good, preacher. Well, how are you living today? If, if there's not a change that's, that began when you trusted Christ that's continued to go through sanctification, that I'm telling you folks, what you got in the beginning was a profession uh, without uh, possession. Because when Christ comes to live in you, it's going to be a, a full life long journey of putting off, renewing the mind, and putting on. Folks, in order, young people, for you to survive in this climate, you, if you're a believer, you better be putting off the old. Renewing your mind and putting on the new. Amen? We must. So, Paul is going to give us these imperative commands. And it's interesting to look at the style in the Greek language. He kind of shifts to this new style of giving these just one after another. Points of imperative commands followed by a a positive command for us. It's going to go all the way through the text. Another aspect of this is notice again uh, this inclusio of love. Remember, he starts off walking in love. And then he's going to end with the same thing in chapter 5 verse 2 which ends up kind of being a summation of what he's said to us all the way through it. So as we dive into these relational behaviors, again, if you watch, to, if you watch church at home all the time and never come to a body, then you, it's hard to live these out, right? These are relational things. Lived out in the body of Christ to which God has called you to belong to. So we live them out among one another. So our sins affect others negatively. Just as our righteousness, our righteous living will bless others positively. So, Tony Marita says, we must not only throw our dirty clothes in the hamper. We must also put the new suit on as well. Right? So I I love the admonitions here because you get the negative, do not lie. You get the positive. Why? Because we're, neighbor, we're, we're, we're joined to one another, so don't do this. Okay, the theological vein I want you to think about as we dive in has to do with the fact that each exhortation is followed up by a statement. And I think this is important to think about. You're to put away lying. Why? Because we're members of one another. That's the theological principle that ought to govern this church. When we treat, we've got to think about how we treat one another. Why? Because we're joined together. We're members of the body. We're told not to be angry and to sin when we're angry. Why? Because the devil will get a foothold. That's the theology. The enemy's looking for an opportunity to get a foothold. We're told here that uh, we should not have unhealthy speech. Why? Because when you do, it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. So in other words, theologically, you need to know something about the Holy Spirit. And then again, of course, we're told to forgive others. Why? Because we've been forgiven much by Christ. That's the theological parameters you think about as you put off these things. We sing it at this church often, don't we? Theology that leads to practice. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit and in God's holy church. We could add things to that. Well, we need to know what we believe about the Holy Spirit and the Church and the doctrine of sin and the devil and the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of the cross, these affect these beliefs affect us. Okay, that's all introduction. You ready? All right, let's hit these fast. Don't lie, but speak the truth. Therefore, having put away falsehood, translation, "Do not lie, put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So we're to give up lying. But we're to speak the truth to our neighbors. So Paul is balancing a negative prohibition, do not lie, with the positive that we are neighbors, right? We're in a community of faith. So if you back up to verse 21 and verse 24, we're going to find that truth comes from God himself. And that truth is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that being true... If you belong to Him, you're identified with Christ, then the distinguishing mark of a believer ought to affect the way you speak. Y'all say amen, so I'll preach faster, right? If you just sit there glazed over like a donut, it won't happen, right? We, we have to, you got to help me. So we learn back in verse 15 that we confess the truth as the basis for community life in Christ. But here the stress is, is the absence of telling lies And cultivating a life of truth that is lived out in the community of faith. So, where did this exhortation come from? If you're a student of the Bible and you see something like, Therefore having put away falsehood. You immediately start thinking about Paul. And Paul was drenched in Old Testament scripture. He was. He knew it extensively before he ever trusted Christ. But once he trusted Christ, the light came on. Things are different. You you see things that you you, you never thought you would ever see in the Word of God when you know the author of the Bible, right? So when Paul trusted Christ, things changed. But here, Paul is actually quoting from the Old Testament Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16. We're told in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16, if you don't have time to turn there, just listen. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render what is true at the gates that makes peace. So that's where Paul gets this admonition, this exhortation. So why is that important? Well, most people think that is simply because Paul is trying to validate what he's saying in the new. So he says... Well, this is written in the Old Testament, and I'm bringing it over to the New to let you know that you should not speak lies but deal in truth with brothers and sisters in the Lord, right? There is no question about the fact that that could be the case, okay? He is drawing from the Word of God as he writes the Word of God. We, we know this. But I think there's something that is more profound in the connection of why Paul cites Zechariah 8 verse 16. And I think the reason is, he's looking ahead in Zechariah 8 to a day that's coming in the future. If you read Zechariah 8, we call this salvation historical. In other words, he's projecting out what Christian living should actually look like in Zion. Are y'all listening? Right? He's giving us this. So if you read Zechariah, he's given a future depiction of God's people in the New Jerusalem and the language itself is picked up by Paul to say this is what a new person in Christ ought to look like that's what he's doing he's talking about a community that's coming in the future ages and this community is addressed in Zechariah 8 and also in Ephesians chapter 4 so in reference to Zechariah 8 16 speak the truth to each other that's the very first admonition that he gives the people of God in Zechariah 8, right? And then he's going to give all these divine promises that come with that in verses 1 through 15. So they're going to inhabit Zion. They're going to be called, what's it say in that chapter? Chapter 8? They're going to be called the city of truth. Wow, what a connection in the word of God to Paul dealing with the church. Remember, you're a part of this because of Christ. You're, you're in the body and he's, he's He's referencing back to Zechariah and saying, here we are. Here we are, the people of God. And we are to be defined as the city of truth. His people will be characterized by truth, righteousness, holiness, and thus to their neighbor who is a member of the community. So, think about this. Ephesians 4.25 picks up on this exhortation from Zechariah. Brings it over to the church and says, If you are a new man in Christ... Then you should put away falsehood, put away lying. And why do you do it? Well, you're called by God to speak truth with your neighbor. Why? Because we're the city of truth. Truth is found in Christ, and tri- Christ has changed our lives. Therefore, the embodiment of truth has been put in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we should thus say no to lying and say yes. ...to how we treat our neighbors. We're reminded in Romans 12, 5... ...that we are members one another in the body of Christ. So, I think this is foundational. It's indispensable that the unity among a community of faith like ours... ...is dealt upon by truth, by trust, right? So there is no question that lying was an endemic. Can, Can you imagine what it was like to live in that culture, and you trusted Christ, and then you were put into the church, well, it'd be very, very easy for you just to keep up the old lifestyle. The old lifestyle of lying, but that's not the case. Paul says, you're in Christ. This is your position as a new man or new woman in Christ, and it's indispensable that we actually live the Christian life. Colossians, if you turn there, chapter 3, very similar Chapter 3, 9 through 10. Just listen to the words of scripture. Chapter 3, 9 and 10. The Bible says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, here it is, with its practices, and have put on the new self. Lying, again, dominant characteristic of the old man. Should not be so with those who are in Christ. Y'all understand? Should not be the case. Now, Uh, There's no place for lying in the church. Do we need to hear this message today? Oh, not us. Not at all, right? Well, I want to remind you that we are immersed in a culture who oozes deception and falsehood. Just turn on the TV. It's almost like every day something comes out that they swept under the rug or said was not true. And we don't know what to believe. The public media blatantly traffics in the realm of deception. Deception. So disregard of the truth. A disposition for lying is everywhere, folks. And we're so encultured that many lie without even knowing that they're doing it. Because they don't stop long enough to think about the truth. Lying is a great sin against Christ and His body. Right up next to the corn. How many lies have you told lately? Well, we need to think about that. What about those little white lies? Ah, fed you a little, a little bit on the tax return. Well, you want to get a good return. Filling out your taxes, right? Oof. Now you're speaking to Baptists, right? We don't want Joe Biden having our money. I made it, his mind. Well, you got to render unto Caesar. I don't think Caesar was well-liked among believers, right? I don't think Herod was. don't think Nero was, right? But they still were told by God to obey. Right? So, shoe fits, wear it. Uh, Don't lie, but tell the truth. Why? Because, think about, we're a body of Christ. Can y'all handle a couple more? Y'all doing good with that one? All right. here's a good one. Don't sin when you're angry. You see it? Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Y'all know how much ink has been spilled on that statement? You don't really realize it unless you study the scripture at length. And find out how many, different def- how many different interpretations come out of there. Do not let the sun. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Go down on your anger. I know many of you have laid on the pillow at night. And the wife's to your back. And you're like, sun's going down. As a matter of fact, the sun's already gone down. And the Bible says, do not let the sun go down on my anger. Don't lie. You've done it, haven't you? Don't look at me so piously. I know it. I know it. Right? So. Now, again, this is going to be something that is an obstacle to harmonious relationships within the body. Believe it or not, again, so much debate over this. Uh, It's important to reveal once again. Where does this come from? The Old Testament. Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. The context here is so important. The psalmist has actually been accused quite unjustly of some kind of crime. And though he knows he's innocent, the reproach is kind of hanging over his head. You ever had that happen to you? This means yes. This means no. Yes, we all have, right? And so God begins to replace the anger with joy. This is good, isn't it? I mean, if you get down to verses 7 and 8, giving him instead, God gave him a heart full of joy and peace. And he's going to admonish his hearers. He's going to further console them and strengthen them not to sin in their anger. So what Paul then urges is for the new man... To follow the model of the psalmist. Instead of harboring anger which turns into sin. We need to allow the Lord God to give us joy in our hearts through it. Through whatever situation. Falsely accused. Whatever that may be. So, again, there's a lot of uh, debate on this kind of instruction. Is this a command? Or is it a condition? Well, some think it means you are angry. Therefore, do not sin. It could mean that Christians should not be characterized by, any, by being angry, but should appropriately express uh, anger on certain occasions. We call that righteous indignation, right? Uh, Wallace concludes that the first imperative is a call to righteous indignation and may be shorthand for church discipline. I'm not so sure about that one because I don't see that contextually here. So I think that the exhortation permits anger, but it also restricts anger rather than making it a command. It would be something like, if you are angry, do not sin. All right, I saw some of you wives cock your head over to your husband, right? And vice versa, right? So anger is not explicitly called sin, but anger in verse 31 is. Okay, we'll see that next week or or a little later that was evidently an unrighteous kind of anger that the Bible tells us to turn away from. So there is a proper place for righteous anger. But also, there's this subtle temptation with among all of us to want to characterize our anger as righteous indignation. But your anger is not righteous at all. We, we do this, don't we? Uh, somebody else is bad tempered. We say, oh, be angry and say not. We're we, It's kind of the... Two by four out of your eye trying to pick out a speck in someone else's eye, right? So, if our anger is not free, if our anger is not free from the feeling of our pride has been injured, our malice, or the spirit of revenge, if that happens, it's going to degenerate into sin. Now, there are some things that we look at this world and we think, Wow, I feel righteous anger welling up inside of me. When tens and thousands of people have been killed, that are innocent. You, you think about this. And I think, yes, there's righteous anger. But Paul gives us some help. To prevent our anger from degenerating into sin, what do we need to do? Just don't let that sun go down on your anger. Well, folks, this is idiomatic for something. Okay? In other words, when he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, he's borrowing a phrase to help us think about anger. In other words... That phrase, do not let the sun go down on your anger, gives a strict time limit. This is what he's saying to us. Okay, I hate to hurt your translation of the scripture. But this is really what he's saying. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Interestingly, this particular term for anger occurs here in the New Testament only. And it's provocation to anger. That is the source of anger rather than the result of anger. Okay, It's important for us to think about Apparently, this was a proverbial statement, which is why it should be interpreted figuratively. Sunset, regarded as time limit. Hey, we've been talking about that, right? Government signed that thing into order. Daylight savings time will stay on. How many of you want to keep that? Oh, yeah, Come on now. But do you want to get up and it be dark at 8 o'clock in the morning? Yeah. yeah. If you're a deer hunter, you're like, bring it on. Uh, that means I can sleep a little later in the morning and get up, right? And I can hunt later at night. So... Regarding sunset, it has to do with a time limit for a range of activities that you would do in a day. For example, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 24 that you ought to pay a man for his wages lest you fail to do so and you're guilty of sinning within that time frame of a day. So Paul uses this reference of sunset as a warning not to let your anger brood, but put a time limit on it if you're still mad, if you're getting angry. And hour after hour goes by, God gives us some help here with anger. Put a time limit on it. This is not what God wants you to do. Your anger will turn in to sin. So now Paul gives a motivation. Do not give the devil a foothold. What happens, folks? Well, if anger is prolonged, Satan can use it for his own ends. Exploiting the strains, uh, strands that have been developed in this particular church body... Foothold is literally place. Don't give the enemy a place, right? Don't give him an opportunity. So we see that strife and anger within the church body can damage it. That's why it needs to be dealt with speedily. Put a time limit on it. Take care of these things so it doesn't damage the church. Why? Because of the enemy, theologically. We have a, an enemy, folks. In chapter 6, we're going to see spiritual warfare Uh, clearly given before us and how we're supposed to live. This particular verse helps us understand that warfare that we're engaged in and that the enemy himself is looking for uh, that area he can get into like someone staying mad, like a good old Baptist deacon. That just got ticked off. Do you know how many men have served as deacons in past years? They got mad with one another and they carry that on until they're hit to grave. They didn't put a time limit on that, and the sun went down a lot, right? Think about that. It happens in the church. It takes place within the hearts and lives of believers. Let me remind you that it's not simply in the realm of that the, It's not only in the realm of anger that the enemy can get a foothold. Okay, I would suggest that he can do so in lying. He could do so in stealing. He could do so in unwholesome talk. So we need to be on guard against every temptation. So that the enemy may be resisted. Number three. Don't steal but work hard. Again. A normal way of living. For these believers around Ephesus. Was to steal. But we have to ask the question. Why does he give the word kleptone? That's the Greek word for thief. Kleptone. Which comes from. Which gives you your word kleptomaniac. That's the Greek word. What is he referring to? Well. Again, negative. Don't steal. What's the positive? Work hard. Why? So that you can help those who are really in need. It's community life. Correct. So, stealing is forbidden in the Word of God. You believe that? In the Old Testament, Exodus 20, verse 15. That is the commandment. Chapter 22, verse 1. Deuteronomy 5:19. 19, Leviticus 19:11. 19, Isaiah 1:29. Jeremiah 7:9. Hosea 4:2. I know I'm going fast. Go back and listen to it online, right? And the New Testament, Matthew 19, 18, Mark 10, 19, Luke 18, 20. I'm just trying to get you to see Romans 13, 9. Most believe that this admonition, though do not steal, is not particularly addressing slaves. Why? They did not earn an income. Most people believe the admonition is not to rich people because normally they did not do manual labor. Most people believe that this is specifically pointed toward those who are poor, i.e. me. No, I'm kidding. No, but we look at that sometimes and we think, well, I'm standing off aloof from this. I, I'm not. Well, I don't know how to gauge that in the United States of America. Do you all? I mean, we see the poverty level. We see all these things. But, but I'm telling you, the attitude that maybe I deserve to have that, I'm going to get it. I'm going to take it unto myself. I mean, that may be something that can come up in any believer's life no matter what. But the force of this would be poor people who would be tempted to take from their employers secretly. Okay. So the force of it is stop stealing, is actually a participial phrase. Rather let them work hard, that, that's the strong pro, uh, contrast. Don't steal, work hard. Now, I think that's a good sermon for our entire country. Work hard. Now, Paul is urging the audience to continue, it's in a present tense, it's a continuous action. To continue. Not only begin to work, if you're not, th- this is the force. Not only to begin to work if you're not, but continually work hard. That's the admonition. I know this seems menial, but folks, it's a reality, isn't it? It's a reality in church life. So Paul addresses part of the whole by referencing our hands. You ever thought about that? Because I'm telling you, folks, when I work, a lot of times I use way more than my hands. So why would Paul just mention hands? Because he's given you an understanding of an idiom Of manual labor. More is involved than just your hands. Okay? So, folks, this is just a call for honest work. Honest work that is beneficial to others. And that that word means you work to the point of exhaustion. I mean, this is just good for our kids to hear. Right? Y'all looking at me? Listen. Don't be lazy. Work. Instead of raising a generation of kids whose elbows are glued to their sides like this and their hands are up front. I mean, we need to teach our kids that the old Protestant work ethic is a good thing. To sweat, to work hard. Why? Because God honors that particular life of someone who works hard. He calls for honest work that is beneficial to others. Again, that last purpose clause. So we can give, so we can impart, so we can share. Helping others, folks, is expected by believers. Instead of taking from people, work hard so that you can give to those in our church body who may me in a real definite need. So, great motivation for the church family. John Wesley put it like this. Work as hard as you can. Make as much as you can. Then give as much as you can. How about o Zacchaeus? Y'all think that he was a, a recipient of grace? Just think about Zacchaeus. His whole life was epitomized by what? Taking, taking, taking. But the day he went up the tree, lost, and saw Jesus Christ and came down saved, something happened. There was a transformation. I'm going to give back fourfold what I have taken as a tax collector wrongly from people. You know, that's, he went from a taker to a giver. That's what happens when you know the Lord. All right, one more. Don't speak what is harmful, but what builds up. Do words have power to hurt? We used to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. That's a lie. Right? It's a lie. So, how we talk to one another is so vitally important. And listen, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only as such that is good for building up. Check this out. Building up, and this phrase, fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear it. Did Paul already address speech? Well, he has. Verse 25. But this time, instead of speaking the truth against falsehood, he exhorts us to speak that which is good instead of that which is harmful. So, in other words, there's a link also back to chapter uh, 4, verse 28. Why? Because what this is is actually going to be what is good and honest and beneficial. Not what is false. Y'all listening? Not there's a contrast between those things that are false. But now we're dealing with those things that are true. So that it actually does good to people. So we not only achieve what is good with our hands. But also we need to achieve what is good with our mouths. Huh. Wow. No corrupting talk. It means unwholesome. Did y'all know it is used figuratively to refer to that which is harmful. And tears down instead of what builds up. Uh, Interesting, this Greek word has a connection with rottenness. Wow, Uh what does he mean by that? Well, it has to do with like an animal that has rotted, but most particularly just an old fish that's been hanging around for a long time that needs to be thrown away. Which suggests that Paul is teaching that Baptists in particular... Need to develop a gag reflex. Something that makes you absolutely sick. Right? It's repulsive. It's unhealthy. Corrupt talk does not nourish you. It makes you sick. Gag reflex. Right? So, we're told in, this, in chapter 5, verse 4, put away lying, abusive language, vulgar, vulgar references. Can I just speak candidly with some of you? The word that is often used freely, that I hear often, and I I don't want to say it up here, but it begins with an S, U-C-K. Did you know that that's not good? That is unwholesome talk. And young people, you need to hear this. That's not okay. Older people, you're just as bad. That's not okay. Okay. Now, I have some words that I probably use that I shouldn't. I'm not going to talk about them, but let's talk about yours, right? <laughs> but when I hear that one, I'm thinking, have you stopped for just a minute to think about that? Don't, don't think about what you're saying. Don't, don't let these things just come out all the time. It's just, and I know some of those big words that people drop on TV make us cringe, but we need to be careful about anything that's idle talk. You know, I, I know you can be legalistic and wave that flag, but folks, It's hard to think that some of those words bring grace to those who hear them, right? And we need to think about some of those things. Augustine hung a sign on his dining room wall that read this. Whoever speaks evil of an absent man or woman is not welcome at this table. Hey, that's pretty good. Because a lot of you eat roast pasta when you get home. (laughs) Right? For the lunchtime. or, Or we entertain Somebody's absent and we're just using speech and speaking against that individual. And harmful things and tearing down that not, should not be the case. Okay, here it is. That last expression, that it may give grace to those who hear. Most scholars believe that that simply means instead of speaking what is harmful, impart a blessing on them. Okay? If you back up to building up that fits the occasion, what does that mean? Well, it means that we ought to be looking for times When our church family is in a particular occasion and they're in a a difficult way and we need to speak something that's going to lift them up. Ah! Right? I need that. You need that. We all do. Why? Because we're in. So speak those things which are fitting to the occasion. Meaning that we're not always going to be doing well. There's going to be times when there is an occasion when we need to be encouraged and that's what communal life is. That's why we encourage one another because God has mandated it and this doesn't mean that only the spiritually gifted in the area of encouraging ought to do this right we've talked about spiritual gifts and it's real easy to say well that's not my gift preacher I don't like to encourage people well all believers should do it by the way this is a good lesson for any of us no matter what we do even if we're outside the church Good leadership demands that you do this. Whether you're working with the school, or whether you're working at the jail cell, (laughs) wherever that might be, job, family, church, how many of us do I need to tell you married people? All of us. How important affirmation is. Do I have to remind you about that one? We'll talk about it when we get to Ephesians 5.25, right? Okay. These are rotten tendencies that corrupt And they're present in one degree or another in all of us. Y'all getting that? In one degree or another, right? So this is why putting off and renewing the mind is so important. We need to be progressively eradicating these kinds of things and putting on the new. So there's been this emphasis upon speech and other things. I want to remind you that Satan will exploit whatever situation he can. To try to gain a stronger influence in this body, we must not allow that to take place. I think the best thing for us to do is to envision the enemy, Satan, standing ready right there with a whole container of gasoline that he wants to pour on the fire when there's any kind of uncontrolled passion and cause it to flame out of control. Okay, so here's the lesson. Don't lie, but speak the truth. Don't sin, When you are angry, don't steal, but work hard. And don't speak what is harmful, but what builds up. I would call this faithful Christian living. I would call it walking worthy of the manner by which you have been called. Amen. All right. The invitation is this. All you liars, hit the altar. No. (laughs) It's real easy for us to point the finger at someone else. But you and the Holy Spirit of God only know, right, What the situation is in your mind and in your heart. Uh, Maybe this is an employer today. Employer today who says, you know what? I I need to treat my employees better based upon some of these things. I don't know what God is calling you to do. Here's the thing I will tell you. That none of these things are possible without Jesus. (laughs) Right? This is not to say do all these things to gain salvation. No, if you're in Christ, this is what ought to take place because you have been regenerated and made alive. Amen? And the help to do that is the Holy Spirit of God and God's written word. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Father, help us during our invitation time. Uh, may we be sensitive to your spirit. Lord, uh, forgive us. We look at that ending admonition. Lord, if there's someone in this body that's harboring bitterness, uh, help them know that the enemy wants to throw gas on it. He wants to gain a foothold. Maybe, maybe Father, today is a day of forgiveness. Uh, maybe with even people inside of the walls of this church that are hearing this sermon. Lord, whatever it may be, Father, if someone is lost, may they trust Jesus. They've seen the gospel made visible in baptism, buried with Christ. Raised to walk in newness of life. Baptism doesn't say, but it's a picture of what actually has taken place inside of us. Lord, help us in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Let's stand and sing. We haven't sang this uh, invitation hymn in a while. I give all, every aspect of my life. We'll mention several things, but we'll start with service. I give all my service to you.
0: I give all my service to you. I give all my service to you. No matter the cause or what others service to you future i give all my future to you i give all my future to you no matter the cost or what others do i give all my future to you i give my worship I give all my worship to you. I give all my worship to you. No matter the cost or what others do, I give all my worship to you. No matter the cost. No matter the cost or what others do, I give all my worship to you.
2: Well, amen. Jesse, this is Jesse Wiggins. And uh, Jesse is a resident of Alabama. And God still saved him. Can you believe that? (laughs) No, Jesse practically grew up with my boys in Alabama. And uh, we love this guy. He uh, is employed right now at Cox. But he's a travel nurse, and we're praying that the Lord's going to settle him here. So anybody that works for Cox, give the boy a bunch of money, he'll stay here, right? Amen. But no, seriously, he uh, is a nurse there and just dear friends of ours. But he has trusted Christ. He does know the Lord. He has followed Believer's Baptism. And his desire is to unite with church membership here at First Baptist Ozark. Amen. So we welcome you here. Hey, Jesse, I'll get you to go back there with Chris and Don, and we'll let everybody welcome you here. All right. God bless you. All right, it's been a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, we uh, look forward to coming. Come back tonight. Our youth pastor, Brother Jeffrey, is going to be preaching tonight. And I look forward to hearing from him. I like to hear preaching. Amen. I like to be on the receiving end, too. So we, we are so thankful for uh, Jeffrey and what God is doing in his life and our youth. And so I hope you'll come back tonight. All right? Did I miss anything, David? Okay. God bless you all. Hey,
1: let's sing. Even what the enemy means for evil, he turned to our good. Even what the
0: enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. You turn it for our good and for your glory.